Hello, and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about building new revenue streams. Who doesn't need that? Especially now. Yeah. Yeah. It's always a nice thing to do. Um, It might be even nicer to do right now. (laughs) (laughs) And what we're going to do is talk about, I think we've got a list of six things that are ways that you can create new revenue streams uh, using virtual tools, remote tools that you probably are really well familiar with at this point. <laughs> so, <laughs> Which you, you know, can do from your house. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, uh, camera, microphone, laptop, Zoom. Uh, there's there is a lot that you can do when you are creating a, a business based on your expertise. You, just different ways to package it up. At uh, You know, we're going to talk about a bunch of different ways to package it up at different price points, different levels of effort in terms of sales and delivery, where you can find price points that make sense for different segments of your audience. So Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this, actually. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's probably start with. Uh, it's like the easy end of the spectrum, but it's also the hard end of the spectrum. Each one of these is going to have different pros and cons, and the first one that I'm thinking of is a book. And of course, a book book is a big undertaking. And let's let's stick with the virtual for now, or the self published at, at the very least, because a traditionally yeah. published book would take eighteen months probably before anything happened, if you could even get a book deal. Um, but so if we imagine ebook, an ebook situation or a self published situation, a book is still a fairly large, can be a, a really long undertaking, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily have to be. So you could create a field guide or a workbook or uh, swipe files that you assemble into a workbook or, you know, like uh, put together as a bundle. Uh, there could be could be blog posts that you've uh, written or essays that you've done or podcast episodes that you could get transcribed and edited. But something, obviously a book, the thing about a book to me is that it's um, it's thoughtful in the sense that all of the material is circles around a really focused point like the book will have one point it's for a particular reader and it's for a particular transformation or a particular thing you want them to learn or understand or change their mind about but it's got a really clear goal for a very particular reader it doesn't have to be 300 pages yes yes 300 pages sounds intimidating yeah i feel like i've been hearing more and more people saying readers saying cuz i i'm a i'm a fan of writing call them not short, but call them like distilled books where it gets to the point and it, uh, and, and people thank you for it. This, you know, this, you could have fluffed this out with, you know, a hundred pages, a hundred extra pages. And if you were going through a traditional publisher, they'd make you do that so that it looked like a physical book on the shelf and it wasn't skinny. But I, I appreciate when somebody just really boils it down to, um, you know, this gets the, just get to it instead of waffling around and, and trying to turn basically what could have been a blog post into a 250 page book. Mm-hmm. And I can point to lots of examples. Uh, I mean, April Dunford, when we interviewed her about obviously awesome, it's a pretty, a pretty short book. Uh, mm-hmm. when without pitching, we interviewed Blair ends. It's a short book. And, but they're great. You know, it's a, it's a great, powerful little package. Uh, I think the important part is that it's distilled down. So you really, if you're going to come out with some sort of a book and you're going to call it that, 
even if it's short, I think that's fine. And people probably, you know, people, people thank me all the time. That's like, yeah, we went through the whole thing on a flight and, or after dinner or over the weekend and they love it. They're not like mad that it doesn't have 200 more pages. The thing that it does need to have though, is it does need to have a really strong point of view. It needs to have a lot of clarity. You need to know what you're talking about. That to me, that's the defining characteristic. Yeah. And then to make it worth your while, right? Because a book, when we talk about book is revenue stream, there's revenue from the book itself, but there's also revenue from whatever that book builds, whether that's, you know, speaking when we can speak at events again, uh, whether it's consulting. So it's, it's gotta have that, um, that tie to your brand and your message. So, and that the distillation process is, is, that's why it's so important and why it's so valuable. They can see you, they get you, they understand what you're about. And when you can create that clarity, the book does you all kinds of favors beyond whatever revenue you get from it. Oh yeah. There's a big marketing angle to it. And you know what, before we, before we jump off a book and move on the, uh, I know a lot of people, myself included, who, who have self-published and they sell their own books directly from their website and you can bundle things together with the book to increase the Mm -hmm. revenue. So let me just take a quick divergence into a pricing territory since we're talking about revenue streams anyway, and this will be true for all of these things one way or another. If you give someone three pricing tiers for something that is reasonable to have a buy now button on, um, in other words, something that's, Mm -hmm. it's not a major purchase in their life. You know, it's not like, you know, you wouldn't buy a house with a buy now button. You might probably wouldn't even buy (laughs) one-on-one coaching or a car with a buy now button. Maybe you would, but, um, you're probably going to need to have some kind of conversation, some sort of sales process for a really big purchase. But if it's, if it's not a huge purchase, uh, and you could theoretically have a buy now button on it that someone would actually click without talking to you first, then having there's just tons of psychology behind this. Having three options is a really powerful way to uh, increase the amount of money that you're making from the book in this case, uh, but also deliver more value to people who want to engage with you at a higher level. Yes. So they come in they're whatever they hear about your book. Maybe you're on a podcast. Maybe somebody tells them about it. They give you a link. You get to the site. And now there's the, there are these three options you know, in my case, uh, you know, for hourly billing is nuts. It's $49 for just the book. And it's $119 for the book plus some videos and other bonus content. And then it's, you know, five, I think it's $597 for a, a coaching call with me on top of all that other stuff. And, it, you know, uh, membership in a private community, which we're also going to talk about. So really, it's not, you know, it's not that they just get the book and there are these three different price, price points, but you can bundle other things in with it to, you know, leave less money on the table and deliver more value to people who are looking to engage more with you. Yeah. And just as a, as a point, the first time I ever did uh, an offering like that, where I, I did that, nobody chose the lowest option. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) I was like, really? Nobody chose the cheapest option. My jaw dropped. Yeah. Humans pick the middle option. It's like if you give people three options, the majority of people are going to pick the middle one. Unless your prices are ridiculously out of whack, they're almost always going to pick the middle one because they're not, you know, nobody goes into a restaurant and sits down and says, wait up, bring me your cheapest wine. You know, actually, I would shock you because the majority chose the highest option. Oh, that means your prices are too low. 
So I, the, the, I just had this conversation with someone, uh, same thing. They're selling a book, three price tiers, uh, 65% or something bought the highest tier, which to me is obviously the highest tier. I don't want to turn this into a pricing thing, but the highest tier, you should only have five or 10% of the people buying that. If only five or 10% of the if more than that are buying it, then you're just leaving money on the table. Well, in my case, though, the top tier had interaction with me, whereas the other ones didn't. So I've, I, my takeaway from that, I mean, you could, you know, we could parse the pricing part, but the other takeaway was that they want a high touch. Mm-hmm. The other options weren't high touch, and that's what they wanted from me in that particular offer. Sure. But yeah, cool. but, I mean, but, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of science and art to this. It's really fascinating. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So not to, I don't want to, it's very tempting for me to make the whole episode about pricing, but let's just, <laughs> let's just leave it at, you know, a book that you maybe charge nine bucks for, or 19 bucks for, or 49 bucks for, uh, if you want to talk about, you know, finding ways to increase your revenue and create new revenue streams in this, these tough economic times, cause it's going to be, you know, it's not going to be, uh, we're not going to snap back from this in two seconds. Um, giving those, giving somebody options and I'm a huge fan of exactly three, not two, not four, mm-hmm. certainly yeah. not six three or is 12. Magic. Three is magic. Yeah. Humans respond. So there's something intrinsic about the number three that humans respond to. Uh, I called it the Goldilocks pricing. It's like, it's mm-hmm. like the one in the middle is just right. Yeah. Uh, it's the perfect amount so that you don't get decision paralysis, but you feel like you've, all of the options are available to you. Nothing's being held back. Well, and the other thing, and I don't think this is about pricing necessarily, but it is about revenue, is in the example that you used, so that $49 is on your site and you're taking all that revenue. Yep. If that was on Amazon, you're getting 40% of that revenue and you can't bundle. So it's when you think about all these things, it's not just what you're going to do, but then how and where are you going to sell it? Yeah, and that's a great point. Might. Yeah, I, I, that's a really important point. I wouldn't sell anything on somebody else's platform. There's no reason. There's no reason. It's like, I mean, there, well, there's one reason, and that is pure marketing. But if we're talking about revenue, there's, there's no good reason. So uh, come at me, Internet, if you disagree. <laughs> you know where to find me. <laughs> I think we'll have a few people disagreeing with that. Yeah, yeah, That'll yeah, be interesting. Like a, uh, if we're talking about revenue... It's a platform question. Sometimes, you know, it's you haven't built the platform yet, but then I could argue then, you know, then don't invest in the book until you have the platform. Agreed. So it's a chicken and egg kind of a thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, We whatever. We can go on about the evils of Amazon, and, but that's not the point. <laughs> so, okay. So we talked about book. We talked about uh, perhaps bundling other materials together with it to increase the revenue. So let's, but everybody I think pretty much knows what a book is. It's pretty straightforward again if if you really don't know how to put a book together mechanically i mean feel free to email me i can point you to tons of resources for that uh, the next thing up in my mind is a course and to and i specifically mean by course because we're going to ca- talk about a few different educational type of offerings for me a course is it's self-paced it is set it and forget it there's no interaction with the person who created the course uh, it's just either a set of videos or a set of emails or a set of audio files that are uh, that you can binge watch at your leisure or binge read or, or whatever. Go through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe there's a workbook, um, and and it, maybe there's a higher tier that involves some other things. But the course itself 
to me uh, as a seller, if I'm selling a course, I don't need to interact with anybody that buys it necessarily other than just, you know, like good customer service, but Mm -hmm. To deliver the course, it's zero touch delivery. They click a buy now button, they're let into the software and they could just do it. And there's no, I don't have to schedule anything. There's no phone call, nothing like that. Go to town. Yeah. And because there's less interaction, you know, generally the price point's going to be lower. Uh, But that can be good right now because I think, I think, Online education is booming and, uh, you know, people aren't able to go to conferences where maybe they would learn some of these things. They're not able to go to uh, workshops and all these other things. They're sort of trapped at home and maybe they've gotten to the end of Netflix like I have. And they'd really like The end of Netflix? Yes, I've watched literally everything on Netflix. (laughs) And no, but I did just binge watch Bosch. Oh my God, I love that show. It's fabulous. So... You know, there are probably a lot of people sitting around who would be like, you know, my brain is rotting. I'm just on social media all the time. I'd really rather do something for my business. Let me spend 70 bucks, 90 bucks, 120 bucks, 250 bucks on this course that I can go through on my own and, you know, get something out of. I can grow my business or I can, you know, somehow better my life, whatever it is, whatever your area of expertise is, you can create there's just so many ways to do it. You can you can create a video course of you talking into a camera. You can create a video course with you just talking to slides. It's like a screen share style. Or if you don't want to have your face in the video, you can, I think I mentioned you could do it as audio files if your mm-hmm. expertise lends itself to that. Or I've even seen paid email courses where the content is dripped out over time and you pay to get access to those emails. Right. Cool. So, uh, Let's see. Moving up the food chain. Uh, the next thing up for me is a workshop. And, and you're thinking virtual workshop. Yes, yes. So uh, I, I had been doing in the past uh, ditching hourly live workshop where people would fly to Providence and sit in a room with me. And I'd go through two days worth of material with like a three ring binder workbook and all of the stuff. And I was really excited about doing that. My inspiration, in fact, was when we interviewed Joe Pine and, he, you know, we were talking yeah. about the experience economy and I was like, oh, you know what? I really want to do that. I want to create like, I mean, I had a smell. I like I was, I was spraying this pine scent in the room and like doing everything, <laughs> you know, it was like, I'm sure it was completely, I was probably the only one who noticed or cared, but I had an absolute blast doing it. Uh, but then, you know, I had one coming up. Uh, it was in, I think it was in March. So, you know, that was off the table because no one could meet in person. And it pushed me into an online Zoom version of it. And to be honest, it was, it was, you know, I don't want to say it was great. Like I did a great job. It, would just, it just went really well. And I was like, I'm just doing this from now on. Because as much fun as I had doing the in-person one, it's really not my style. My style is mm-hmm. much more virtual, much more remote. Uh, and the engagement was really good. And I think, you know, I, and I work with a lot of software people and they're not like the biggest fans of like sharing air with other people <laughs> in, in general. Um, so I, I thought it was fine. I really enjoyed Your audience it. is virtual. That's what really struck me when we had talked about this offline is that when you align the way you like to deliver with what your audience does, I mean, that's magic and that can happen in virtual. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think a lot of people think it's not possible, but it absolutely is. You just have to think it through a little bit differently, perhaps, to make that experience as rich as it can be, given the medium. Exactly. So you need to be very uh, 
engaged and engaging and you need to have a really, I mean, if you're going to have a, it's a two day zoom call. If you're going to have a two day zoom call, you need to have a curriculum. It needs to be mapped out and people need to know where they are and what, what the big picture is and how they're moving through it. It's exhausting. Take Uh, your vitamins and get a good night's sleep. Right. I mean, you're plowing through, you know, in a workshop, you're plowing through a massive amount of material in a really short time. So it's a real crash course. You really need to show up and be engaged. There's no skipping out. There's no not doing the homework because you got to do it right there. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, but I was, uh, honestly, I was really surprised that how it went and, and having, and I've taught, I've taught, you know, full day workshops virtually before, but having done it in person and then having a virtual one to compare it to, I was like, Hmm, I kind of like the virtual one better. It might've even been more effective. Fun, yeah. There's a fun factor to it that I just, I mean, I found that myself in, in some zoom calls recently with, with group coaching class, but it's fun. Mm-hmm. Right. You've got this interaction and you have to be totally, totally focused. I mean, you can't there's no distractions allowed. And I think, you know, for for those of us in the service professions, we're being used in a great <laughs> way. Right. It's like we're 100 percent being used at what we do really well and focused. And and when you see the audience or the class or whatever, whoever you're teaching, get it. It's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's a win win on all sides. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's great. And so actually, we didn't really talk about this before the show, but I have been kind of mentioning price points as we go along here. And I think it's worth pointing out that different packages of expertise, whether it's a book or a self-paced course or a live workshop, virtual or otherwise, the expectation in a buyer is that there's there's already a price expectation in the buyer. They're going to compare you to other things. And that's that's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it makes it really hard for you to charge a premium for something that people are used to paying less for. Uh, it, you know, so it's not necessarily about the quality of the content. It's just like, look, I've, I, I've never spent more than $20 on a book. So if you tell me you sell a book, I'm going to expect that it's probably around $20. Mm-hmm. So if you want to break that notion and charge more than that, you're going to have to have a really strong story or you're going to have to have a really strong brand or following or something to justify a price point that is outside of the norm. On the other hand, uh, for something like a course or a workshop, people's expectations are, you, you can ride the expectation and look around and say, well, what are people paying for courses? What are people like mine? What are people paying for workshops like mine? And automatically start off at a price point that is perhaps higher than you would have in the first place because people mm-hmm. just expect to spend a thousand bucks on a workshop. So it's like, huh, okay, you can, so in other words, it's, it's a two-edged sword in the sense that people's pricing expectations can, they're going to pull you. It's almost like a gravitational pull to a, you know, fair market rate, even though that's, you know, basically a consensual hallucination that (laughs) it's not, it's not fake though. It's, it's just illusory but everyone leaves it. So like right. books cost about this much. A movie costs about this much. An app on my iPhone should be free. You know, all of these expectations exist and you can use them to your advantage by saying like, well, if I wanted to, tr- you could kind of reverse engineer. I need to charge a thousand dollars for a thing. Uh, what could I do that? Well, a workshop, you're not going to charge a thousand dollars for a book. That's like, I mean, actually that'd be a fun Probably. experiment. 
Yeah, you, you might be able to, but it's it's a wraparound kind of a thing. Yeah, it's it's the extreme outlier, but you could definitely charge a thousand bucks for a live two day workshop. Mm-hmm. I can I can prove that. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not that. I mean, just you know, as you're listening, you could probably imagine like, oh, you, you probably know just by asking yourself, would I spend more on a on a a live workshop than I would on a cor- on a book? And I'm sure your answer is yes. You would spend more on a live workshop than a book. And guess what? It's easier to put together a workshop than to write a book. Mm-hmm. There's it's a different kind of thing, but it's it's uh, timeline wise. I shouldn't say easier, but timeline wise, a book is going to take you longer. Yes, it's it's a different exercise. Mm-hmm. But then delivering a book is super easy. It's completely automated. Delivering a workshop is extremely emotionally draining and is going to block out your calendar for a day or two. So the, the delivery is different of the two things. So is all of these things will go into the pricing for you. But you know, if you've got two days uh, a month and you would like to just put up a sales page for a live workshop, virtual remote workshop, you could probably start selling that next, next month or Mm -hmm. in two weeks, you know, just like figure out what's, what it's going to be in, put together an outline, a workbook, and put up a sales page and then start telling your audience about it. And people are going to expect it to be at least 700, at least. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm thinking about that. I've seen some for 499, but I don't know that I would actually call them a workshop now that I think about it. Yeah. And Um, if the price gets too low, you start to not trust it. Yeah. Like, Oh, it's going to stink. It's going to be an ad for their private coaching. Yeah. Right. Like if they, that's, and that's also part of the, the beauty of packaging up your expertise in these different ways, because, you know, in the price expectations, you can't price some of them too low. That'll actually negatively impact your sales because people are like, "Eh, it's going to, can't be that great if it's only a hundred bucks for a two day workshop. Yeah. And and one thing just to comment on all of these options is to test your pricing assumptions with some people in your audience. Um, I've done that a couple of times and I had somebody tell me, uh, oh, so for that price, I'm going to get all of this stuff because that's what they expected from me. And mm-hmm. I said, oh, no, it would be this. And they're like, no, I'd rather spend more and get this extra stuff. So, you, you know, you learn by listening to your audience what they're most interested in. And then, you you know, you work that in with how you like to deliver and the content that you feel you need to teach in order to get the outcome you're promising. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah, I don't I don't usually pick numbers out of the air. Um, you know, I'll get some guidance from the market, you know, for if there's, if the package that I'm putting together is pretty well established as a thing that people have expectations around, I'll sort of use that as a starting point. And then I'll bounce the idea off individual people on my list, not the whole list at once, but individuals right. who, you know, I think would be a really good fit for the thing. It's like, Hey, putting together this workshop, here's the outline. Here's a draft of the sales page. I'm thinking about charging 950 bucks for it. What's your reaction to that? And they might be like, here's my money. Or they might say, nah, there's no way I could do that now. There's no way I could do that now. Or they might say, yeah, that seems about right. That seems reasonable. And just to, just to gut check yourself, because, you know, at the end of the day, the value that's perceived by the buyer is what's going to end up being the go or no go decision is really at a certain point, it's out of your hands and it's sort of cultural and global economic changes are going to affect everybody's subjective view of value. So you kind of got to test the waters a little bit, or it helps if you can. Yeah. I mean, I think we did a whole episode about 
testing all of this ahead of time versus, yeah, you know, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Test with a tweet. Mm-hmm. If you're wondering about it, go back to the episode. Yeah. I think it was the Paul Jarvis episode. Uh, lots of callbacks to guests. Jeez. We should start having, we should have some more guests. Don't you think? Yeah, I think <laughs> we should. I think we have a couple in mind. Don't exactly. We? Um, okay. So, so far we've talked about books, self-paced courses, live workshops. The next one for me, uh, in line mentally, we could go two different directions here, but I, I think the seminar, an online seminar is the next place my brain goes, which is kind of like a hybrid between a, um, a workshop and a self-paced course where the, the price point's going to be higher because now you're, you're, I mean, picture, picture like a college seminar, you know, like a geology 101. I mean, when I went to, when I took geology 101, it was like, you know, 300 people in stadium seating with the sage on stage down in the, you know, with, you almost needed binoculars to see them yeah. and they would sort of present a lesson and then you'd break up into groups and work with TAs to work through the homework assignments. And you had, you know, there were office hours with the professor and I think Seth Godin's, uh, another past guest, <laughs> Seth Godin's uh, marketing seminar was the first online, true online seminar that I saw. And I was like, wow, this is really, it's not a workshop. It's not a course, really. It's really a seminar where it has the, has aspects of a workshop because you have to do work along the way, but it's, it's got a cohort of people. So you're not on your own in your basement going through a bunch of videos you're with this group of people and they hold you accountable. They keep you engaged. Uh, you help them. They help you. There's a teacher on hand to kind of get people unstuck. If everybody's kind of in a, in a, you know, infinite loop stuck on something. Um, but there's a, a clear curriculum, just like a workshop would have, uh, or like a course would have, but there is, and there's interaction with the teacher and there's interact, but there's, but it's not just that it's more about the cohort and, mm-hmm. uh, and it takes place over a much longer period of time. So I, you know, I went and, and created one for myself about pricing and it's a very interesting model. It is, it is fundamentally different than the other ones, even though they share some, some similarities, it's a definitely a different thing. So and therefore you can charge a different price for it. And, yeah. It's, yeah. and it's, it's, as I was listening to you, it, it's really, you're focusing on the experience, you know, in each of these, the, the more you can, as you're telling people about them and designing them, you're really focusing on the experience that you're giving to the people going through this. And in, in this case, the exper- a lot of the experience comes from the people you're working with, your peers, mm-hmm. right? It's set in motion by the sage, Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, a fundamental piece that the process, if you will, that's by the, the sage, but everybody's experience is a little bit different because it's from their peers. Right. Yeah. So for me, the, 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 the seminar is interesting because the material is similar to other things that I have in a book or a course or a workshop. But the, for me, the litmus test of success for a seminar is how engaged people are, like whether or not they drop off. And I put a lot of effort, especially at the beginning, onboarding people, setting the tone, creating the culture or setting the cultural norms and expectations for the group. And once that 
if you have enough people and you do a good job of it, it starts to become fairly self-sustaining. And then you see these really high engagement numbers. So for something like an online course, like a Udemy course, the numbers are abysmal in terms of of drop-off rate. You know, like something like 1% or 2% of people actually finish them. Um, People buy them and never even open them or go through them. Um, But with the seminar, you know, whether it's mine or someone else's, because I've gone through a few, you really see the, if the community gels, it sustains itself almost. It just, Mm -hmm. you just need to kind of have some guardrails around it, but you don't have to be like pushing and pushing, pushing, pushing where a workshop is very driven by the, the person who's teaching it. It's very much driven by that person. And there's definitely some interaction, but with a seminar, it's like, you're talking like 12 weeks, you know, months. And it's, if your material is the kind of material that needs to unfold over time and it needs time to sink in, uh, but would benefit from this sort of cohort activity then, you know, it's a great way to package your expertise and deliver it to, a, a, you know, potentially a very large group of people. Like the last time I was in a uh, marketing seminar with Seth Godin, it was like 1,500 people in one cohort. So you can really scale it up and, and, key, and still maintain engagement with the entire group and create transformations for people that, you know, if what you're trying to do is something that can't be, not doesn't, doesn't lend itself well to, um, a two-day workshop or a, a self-paced course? Well, there's two things. You know, From the standpoint of the workshop leader, there's a lot of leverage because you're using other people to help. But from the standpoint of the participant, the thing that's cool about that is that you can experiment with all these teachings because it's. I feel like sometimes when you go into a course that's two weeks or four weeks, you're into this alternate universe. Right, where they're using a specific language and everything's about this, but you're still running your business, you still have your day to day, and then you're done, Mm -hmm. and and then you have to keep doing whatever the lessons were that you learned, unless it's a very self-contained kind of thing. So if your expertise is around something that needs some time to bake, right? Yeah, that's a great solution, a great way to deliver it because it leverages you and your time, but it also really gives your participants a way to practice and make it their own and by the way when they do that successfully they're going to tell more people about your course sure yeah i mean doing doing a good job of any of these things is is its own marketing that's great yeah um so one of the uh, i'm actually going to key off a point there to move into the next thing on on my list which is uh, a membership community could be you know we're talking about revenue so this would be a paid membership community or some kind of subscription uh and we both we both have versions of this. I also have some free ones that are kind of bu- free, air quotes free that I use as like a bonus for a higher tier engagement. So if you get the VIP ticket for a workshop, you'll also get access to a private coaching community. Uh, if you enter the pricing seminar, you, there's like an alumni Slack that's free. It's just part of the deal mm-hmm. so that, you know, cause all these people that you meet or, and work with over the course of 12 weeks after it's over, then there's it, universally people were like, well, I don't want to lose touch with these people. And I just figured when I ran the first one, I just figured, well, make your own Slack room. Like, what, do you, what do you need me for? <laughs> but they really, that really didn't feel right to people. So I was like, all right, I'll, I can start a Slack room. And you know, when you, sort of graduate from the pricing seminar. There's a TPS alums graduate Slack. And uh, it it helps. 
especially coming out of this seminar where there's so much engagement and the, the reason why that content, I think, really needs to be spread out over that much time is because there's a giant mind shift that has to take place from, you know, for example, normally people scope first for projects, but you really need to scope last. And it's not an easy thing to get your head around. Kind of, it's like an onion. You think you get it, but then you try it again. And you're like, oh, wow, I, I did mm-hmm. do it better, but I still don't really get it. So having that community support and have a place to go and, and be held accountable and share wins and failures is is really beneficial. You can break that off as its own thing. So, you know, I've got a group coaching thing where it's, there's no curriculum. So it's unlike a seminar, it's unlike a workshop or a course that has a a particular uh, list of topics that we're going to go through in a particular sequence. It's more like an office hour where, hey, bring your business questions to uh, next week's session and we'll answer them there. And, uh, it's, it's unstructured kind of like, uh, kind of like a scheduled, ask me anything, AMA. Mm-hmm. And that's valuable to people and you can sell it. And it's very easy to, you know, if you've already got the expertise, it's really not, there's not a lot of preparation. There's not a lot of mechanics. It's very easy to do virtually. You could use zoom or Crowdcaster or anything really, uh, that, that will allow you to host a group call and people come in and ask you questions and you answer them and get them unstuck and, yeah, and it's it's something that you can offer at a really affordable price that delivers more value than you charge to a group of people because you're leveraging your time. You know, you're you're spreading out you're spreading, you know, like a bunch of people are investing and they all get you know a fractional portion of your attention, but they don't need a lot of attention. There's usually like one particular question they're stuck with in a given two week period you know, or, or a few questions around the same sort of topic and you can really get them unstuck and get them moving forward with whatever it is that you're good at because it's, it's not their focus. Well, it's also, it's a way to serve people that you might not be able to serve otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes it can be kind of a, of a, a, of a, a warming plate for people who really would like to do or to buy some of your more expensive options, but they're not ready yet. Whether it's they're not ready at this point in their career or they're too busy or um, they don't have enough money to do it yet, all of those things. So it's, you know, I I like the idea when you think of of your uh, price or not pricing, but services ladder Mm -hmm. and you kind of think about that. There's There's a nice place for something on the low end of the range, especially if your consulting is really high end. Right. Yeah, and I mean you're you're setting the segues up just perfectly. <laughs> uh, so there are two there in my list. I've got sort of after all of that, you've got your sort of top tier option, your helicopter option, which would be some sort of advisory coaching relationship. And uh, I mean, I'd be curious to know what what you do there. But for me, there's really two options for if you want like one on one attention. Uh, you you can either you know sell it as a one-off phone call that's, you know, whatever, half an hour, 45 minutes, however long it takes, like just a a meeting, a one-off meeting where someone can uh, pay for you to really diagnose their situation and give them some kind of prescription or recommendations or something, Uh, or a more long-term advisory relationship, whether it's coaching or an advisory retainer that goes on a month-to-month basis, um, or it's maybe like a quarterly or, you know, hey, you know, six months mm-hmm. of one-on-one coaching for, you know, every other week phone calls and like access to direct access for email assistance or whatever, whatever it might be. 
to, to me, the, um, that delivery, the delivery piece, the sales and delivery piece are the hardest for something like that, because it has to be probably your highest ticket thing because it's a, it, it isn't leveraged at all. So you have to really price it in a way that's going to make sense to air quotes, cover your costs or your opportunity costs for, you know, all these other things you could be doing. And it's tougher to sell because people are more reluctant. You know, it's a bigger decision for people. They're not going to click buy now on a $10,000 purchase. So it's like, well, you know, let's, let's think about this. Let's maybe have a a meet and greet call to see if we even get along. And, you know, these other, so all these other things can lead to potentially, um, you know, lead people up the mountain to that, that experience at the peak, so to speak, the most expensive one, or sometimes I call it the helicopter option. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a lot of people listening to this probably already doing that. You know, that's kind of an obvious thing to do, advise people for money. <laughs> you know, if you're an expert, that's probably a normal thing that you would do. But, but here sometimes are when you when you wrap some parameters around it, not making it a productized service, but some parameters that people can react to, including a price tag. Mm-hmm. Um, I never used price tags on my website until last year. And so, uh, well, I shouldn't say that I, I did for my like one hour coaching call. That's just a one time one thing. But um, I actually put my coaching program up and wrapped prices around it so that people had something to react to mm-hmm. before we spoke. And so if the price was off-putting to them, we didn't speak. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. But it's, it gives them, I feel like it gives them an order of magnitude on what to expect. And then for me, that one-to-one coaching is, is the middle option. There is one option above that. Um, which is, it's a brand option that's more expensive. But ironically, the coaching can be more expensive. It depends how many months you go. Right. Right. And so the outcomes are different. Um, but so it's, yeah, I, I kind of look at it that way. And, and by wrapping, it, it took me a long time. And I, Jonathan, I, I do give you credit for influencing me in this way. It took me a long time to put a price tag on my website for an actual service. It just felt so opposite to the, the big firm consulting I'd been dealing with for years. And I realized it was doing a service for my audience by putting it there. So I did. 100%. Yeah. I'm a yeah. huge fan. I don't do any, any custom pricing. Well, that's, eh, yeah, it, it would be a major exception for me to do custom. Pricing. I think I did one last year where it was like interesting engagement. Let's talk when we figured out like, you know, some sort of rev share and it was like a interesting experiment, but, but honestly it's, uh, it's not fun for anyone to go through that. It's like, just put a price tag on it. And, and well, here's, what's cool about it. I think of, I think of, if we look back over this like list of six or seven things we talked about, like different ways to package up your expertise and sell it in a virtual or remote way. Um, I, I imagine all of them, like in my mind, I can kind of plot them a scatter plot of like a double axis graph, uh, where one axis is the difficulty, this, this sort of level of effort, for the sale. So like how much effort mm-hmm. is it going to take me to sell something, uh, sell a book at $10 or sell a book at $50 or sell a course at a hundred dollars or $900, you know, so there's this level of effort in the sales process on the vertical axis. And then on the horizontal axis, there's the delivery level of effort. How hard is it for me to deliver this thing once it's been purchased? So of all of the things we listed a, you know, a $19 book would be like bottom left-hand corner, 
really low touch sales, really low touch delivery. You basically don't have to do anything after writing the book. So you could imagine a third dimension of like, how difficult is it to create the thing? Which, you know, there's that book is probably right. Probably the most, it's funny because it's the cheapest thing uh, to sell. It's the easiest thing to sell. It's the easiest thing to deliver, but it's probably one of the harder ones to make. Yes. But once it's made, it just sells and sells and sells and sells. So you've got that. But anyway, you can imagine plotting all of these, you know, a course, depending on the price, you can plot it in different areas. And all of these things are kind of scatter plotting onto this graph where, you know, toughest to sell, toughest to deliver, one-on-one private coaching is going to be top right. So the polar opposite bottom left is going to be a book. But interestingly enough, the third dimension of, of private coaching, it's almost there's nothing to spin up. You either have the expertise or you don't. There's no, there's no ramp up in terms of creation. So it, there's all of these factors. It's really, it, I should really redo my model here. So it's three dimensional because those three aspects are really, uh, really interesting. And you can play with them in that, in, just in your mind, you play with them in that 3d space and think, where are the dead spots in my model? Am I just doing these really hard to sell, really hard to deliver, um, advisory services way up in this top right hand corner well maybe i need to sprinkle some things into the middle of that and imagine broaden my uh, imagination or broaden my worldview around you know how how else i could package up my expertise to sell and i've talked with plenty of people who are like well it's but i could do a video course but that's not as effective as working with me directly and i'm like i know but you can <laughs> sell it to people who can't afford to work with you directly so right. getting no information from you is is worse than getting some information from you even if it's not the absolute best way well and there's a piece i don't know that it's a fourth dimension but there is a piece where you really have to look at who your audience is um and how I don't want to say that it has to be big, but it has to be full enough of people who can buy this. So if you've built an audience on the high one-to-one stuff and you introduce a low-end course, it's possible that your audience kind of goes, so I don't want to buy that. That's I, I don't want that. So you have to start to think about, well, how do I find people who are interested in that? So there's this there's this platform piece who you're who's already in your audience. I think you solve that by asking your audience what they want, mm-hmm. your existing audience, and build on that. But it's it it is an interesting thing because I've worked with a lot of people who are at that far end where it's all high touch, um, high dollar volume, and so then for them to step away to develop a book, they're leaving a lot of money on the table. So they have to like think through that. And so part of that thought process is always, okay, so if your audience is 500 people, but you're making three or 400 grand a year serving those people, um, you know, that book needs to sell to more than those people. So how are you going to um, attract those people? How are you going to get them in your audience, preferably before you write the book or while you're writing the book? Yeah, that's a really good point. So like a, a lot of the things that, you know, of this list, I think I have an example. I think I sell an example of every single one of these things, but I didn't at first. And the order in which I released them was in direct reaction to the information I was getting from my mailing list. Yeah. So it wasn't like, uh, you know what I mean? It wasn't like I just decided like, okay, I'm going to fill, you know, here's the checklist of things I need to create and I'm just going to do them because, you know, TBOA said we should do it. 
it, it's not, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like that. Nobody says that. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it, it would be more like, here's, here's some things to think about. And hopefully you do have some sort of audience or sounding board at least where you could reach out and get some kind of feedback about which one of these things would perhaps be of interest to folks. Or if you, if you're not getting a lot of answers to that question, or you're not getting clear answers to that question, you could say, Hey, have you thought about uh, my one-on-one coaching thing or whatever my top tier thing is, but you know, now's not a great time to make that kind of an investment. What kind of investment could you make right now? And then you could reverse engineer what to create based on how much people would like to spend with you. So yes. if everybody comes back and says, oh, you know, I can't, you know, I can't spend $10,000 to get in the coaching thing, but I could definitely spend a hundred dollars a month, or I could definitely spend 300 bucks for something, you know, a one-time purchase. If somebody tells me they can spend 300 bucks on something and I get that kind of a feed, that kind of feedback from a lot of people or enough people, six, if it was six would be enough for me. Like if everybody said, yeah, about 300 bucks, then I'd be like, all right, of course it is. Cause you know, cause a course is going to sell at around, you know, anywhere, you know, you can pay nine bucks for a course, but you start to think it's junk, you know, around 300 bucks, I think is reasonable for a good course, you know, like a video, I'd probably do a video course. So I, you know, yeah, that, but no, but that, that, that I, I think we're, you know, we're just agreeing with each other. It's, it's that you have to think about your audience versus like creating some big thing that you love. And it's like the perfect, uh, you know, essence of your teachings and then nobody buys it. Yes. And you're it's podcasting like, from your motorcycle, which is awesome. I was afraid <laughs> you could hear that all of a sudden the lawnmower started. The wind in your hair. Door. Yeah, that is not me on my Harley, and it's not me pushing the lawnmower, I promise. I love it. All right, it's a a classic work-from-home moment. (laughs) All right, why don't we uh, end it on that note, so to speak, (laughs) on that rev? Yeah, I got to go get on my Harley now. Sorry. Cool. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next week on the open road (laughs) for the business of authority. (laughs) Bye. Bye-bye.